1 John chapter 2. Verse 18. By the way, if, if you wondered, this isn't coffee. <laughs> yeah, I'm not, yeah, that's water. That's coffee. First John chapter 2, verse 18, little children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that they might be manifest that none of them were of us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is, the, he is Antichrist, who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either, and he who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Father, we ask that you would help us this morning to to learn from you what is really a, a rather difficult passage. Lord, help us to to hear your voice. We pray that your Spirit would fill us all. I pray that you'd fill me, that you would speak through me. And Lord, just help us as we navigate this passage that is actually so important. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. So as, as, I, as I looked at this particular passage, and, and I spent a lot of time on it, I've got about two, well, little over two, little over two pages worth. But we're not going to look at all of that this morning. So I think I'm, I'm going to split this particular passage up in, into, into two sections. I think it'll be helpful. Because we have all kinds of things going on here. We have, we have this, uh, this idea of it being the last hour. We have this idea of the Antichrist, singular, and many Antichrists, plural, uh, along with being in the last days. We have those who went out from us, uh, and they went out from us uh, to manifest that they were not a part of us. Uh, we also have this, this reassurance that John gives to the readers that we have an anointing from the Holy One and you know all things. And, and, and then this, this uh, idea of really this confession of, of that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, the Messiah, which is the whole purpose of the Gospel of John, by the way. Uh, and John, John says that in his, in his Gospel, uh, John 20 uh, I write these things that you may know that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Jesus Christ, now the word Christ is not his last name, right? You guys know this, right? Now, the, the word Christ is the English translation of the Greek word Christos, which is the Greek word for the Hebrew word Messiah, or 
Messiah, which is the English transliteration of the Hebrew word Mashiach. So what John is saying that you may know that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of God, the son of the living God. And so when we, when we see this here in verse 22, it says, who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Messiah. That's, that's what, he's, what he's really saying here. We're probably not going to get into that this week. Um, but I think, there's, I think there's so much in this particular passage that I think it's important that we do take our time and slow down. Although it's really one chunk. It really is, right? So what we'll do is next week, we'll play this week again, just to refresh your memory, and then I'll get, no, we won't do that. I'm just kidding. Um, but anyway, so, um, but I would encourage you to spend some time in this particular passage. It's, it's brief, it's simple, but it's incredibly profound. Now it starts out in verse 18 where he addresses them again as little children. Now immediately that should, that should perk up your antenna if it isn't already uh, attentive, uh, who is he speaking to? He's speaking to his readers. He's referring to his readers as little children. We've seen this before in the book of John, or 1 John, of the, the letter of 1 John. It's important to recognize that he is speaking to family. That this is a letter written to the family. And this particular passage, he's writing this and he's addressing family. This is a family matter. And, and he says to them, uh, it is the last hour. Now, now, when was this written? Was this written in the 1960s, 1970s? It's, it's believed that John wrote this letter somewhere in the 90s, in the first century, somewhere in the 90s A.D., all right? So there's been a lot of time that has passed between John saying it is the last time or the last hour from the time he wrote it and the fact that we read it today and the last hour, which is really a reference to the day of the Lord, the time of Jesus Christ's return hasn't happened yet, has it? Hasn't happened yet. It's one of those things that we are still waiting to happen. We consider ourselves in the last days. But the reality is the church has been in the last days. According to the book of Hebrews chapter 1 verse 2, that we have been in the last days since the coming of Jesus Christ, his first coming, that is. And it is this category of time that we have lived in. Uh, by the way, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 20 talks about this as well. This is a category of time that we live in that is referred to as the last days or the last hour. I, think, I, I don't think we should make too much of a difference between the day and the hour as far as the usage of those two words in different passages of Scripture John is talking about this being the last hour. Uh, other places, Paul talks about the last days. Jesus talked about the last days as well. Uh, but he's talking about the last hour. Now, uh, what's interesting here is that, that, that the word that, or the, uh, it's actually one word in the Greek, it's translated, it is. It's one word in the Greek, the word emi, I-E-I-M-I, if you want to spell it in the English. 
And it's an interesting word because the word emi, or it is, uh, is, is in the present tense. So it, it's referring to an action that is in a process or it is in a state with no, uh, no understanding, no assessment of the action's completion. In other words, it's something that is happening, but it has not yet finished. Does that make sense? Now, does that remind, does that remind you of anything that I think is a huge theme in the, in the Bible, in the Gospels particularly, but also throughout the Bible, uh, that one theme that I refer to often of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is here, but the kingdom of God is not yet here in its fullness. It has been, it has began, but it is not fully consummated yet. It will at Christ's return. And, and so this idea of the last days where the kingdom of God was inaugurated in uh, John the Baptist and Jesus, their, both of their first messages was what? Repent for the kingdom of God. Matthew uses the term kingdom of heaven because he is writing to a primary, primarily uh, Hebrew Jewish audience and they did not want to use the name. They did not want to use the proper name of God at all in any form if they could avoid it as a matter of respect. So the Jews would not refer to the kingdom of God. They would refer to it as the kingdom of heaven. It's talking about the same thing. Um, so the last days began with the coming of Jesus. We, we, we see this being talked about also in the book of Acts. In the very, very early church, the, 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 the very day that the church was founded or began, if you could use that term, or initiated, uh, was in, in, in the book of Acts chapter 2 and verse 17, where it, it talks about, uh, where Peter is actually quoting from the prophet Joel and referring to that time as the last days. Um, so you have this 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 understanding that they lived in the last days just as much as we live in the last days as well, in a sense of the expectation of Christ's coming. If you read early church literature, they were convinced that they were in the last days, particularly when they started going into persecutions. They were convinced that they were in the last days. They were convinced that they were going through great tribulation. Now, if you become a lion's lunch, to me, that sounds like pretty great tribulation, doesn't it? All right. So, they were convinced that Christ was going to return. The, I believe the apostles were convinced that Christ was going to return before their, their lifetime was through. And, 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 and so, within the understanding of the last days, there was also this this idea, this concept, uh, this reality, future reality, this time that is coming, that it is not here yet, and some of you might disagree with that, but that's fine too. Uh, but uh, there's this ending final hour. So this, this ending final hour is an unknown quantity for the church. 
And I think it's, it's very clear what uh, was said to the church in the book of Acts chapter 1, and it's not for you to know the time of seasons, which the Father has appointed unto himself. So we live with the expectation of his return, but we don't know how long this last hour will be. And, and, and so because we don't have a precise understanding of what that last hour actually looks like, uh, uh, John here in writing this, I think, is well within the boundaries. Plus, he's being inspired by the Holy Spirit. But he's well within the boundaries of identifying this as the last days, the last hours. The last t- days, the last hour, is characterized by evil times. Um, we, we, it's perilous times. We see this in, in, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, and in James chapter 5, verse 3. It's perilous times. And it's also a time of scoffers and mockers. Scoffers and mockers. Don't you like scoffers and mockers? I hate scoffers. Well, <laughs> yeah, I said that, didn't I? Well, well, it's out of that bag, isn't it? Okay. Yeah, but it's a time of scoffers and mockers. Um, 2 Peter chapter 3. I'm going to read these. For you. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 3. Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days walking according to their own lust and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. And I, there's, there's a lot you could really go on here, and this is a really full passage here in Second Peter chapter 3. But it also goes on, I'll, I'll skip down to verse 9. It says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, and some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. So there's this, this idea, there's this, this concept that Peter is talking about here is, is, is that God is long-suffering and he's desiring to bring as many people into the kingdom as possible because that is the heart of God. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Now, and, and in the Greek, and I, I, this sounds sarcastic and I'm not trying to be. All right, I was earlier when I talked about hating scoffers, but anyway, uh, all here in the Greek means everyone. It means everyone. It is a call to what Jesus, I believe, referred to when he speaks to Nicodemus in the third chapter of John that says that whosoever believes on him would have eternal life and not perish. It's a calling to whosoever. It's a calling to all. And so I believe this opportunity is given, is given to all. Um, just many do not receive it. And so it is a time of scoffers. Uh, Jude, chap- uh, Jude 1, or you could just say Jude 18, um, because it's only one chapter. Jude 18, it, it says how... Um, how, okay, back up to 17. 
Uh, but you, beloved, remember the words which, which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ and how they told you that there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own ungodly lust. So you have scoffers, you have mark, mark, uh, mockers that are a characteristic of these end times. Um, you also have here in John chapter 1, verse, uh, uh, John chapter 1, First, excuse me, First John chapter 2, the passage that we're looking at, verse 18, you have this, this idea of the coming of the Antichrist, singular, but also the coming of the Antichrist, plural. We'll get back to that in a second. Um, also, what you have is in, the, the, in this expectation of these very last days, we see this in the book of Revelation where these last plagues are being played out, uh, Revelation 15, verse 1, Revelation 21, verse 9, where these last plagues are being out, where you have this, this last part of the last hour that is happening. And yet, in the last days, Jesus overcomes the last enemy. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Jesus overcomes the last enemy, which is what? What's the last enemy? You guys all have masks on. I can't hear you. Uh, death, right? Should I put mine on? You're good. No, you don't want me. Okay. Um, Jesus overcomes the last enemy, which is death. And it, it's, it's proclaimed by a last trumpet, by the way. So the sounding of the last trumpet that's given, and Jesus overcomes the last enemy, where you have the sounding of this last trumpet, where you have the resurrection of the, of the dead, those who are resurrected um, to salvation, and then later those that are resurrected to judgment. We see this in John chapter 6, uh, verses 39, John chapter 6, 44, John chapter 6, 54. Hopefully I'm going slow if you're trying to write this down. John chapter 11, 24. John chapter 12, verse 48. And Peter talks about it in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 5. So you can tell I'm throwing a lot of scripture at you, but I don't have the time to read it all to you. So we are in this idea of being in the last days. Now, why would the Holy Spirit, I think I've already explained it partly, but why would the Holy Spirit inspire John to write way back then that this is the last hour and now we've continued for over 1,900 years? Well, I gave you one example, right? The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some consider a slackness, but it is his, uh, he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so there is this idea of the long-suffering of God. Um, the, the other thing that I think we need to recognize is that we, um, we, don't nor, we don't really have a full grasp of God's understanding of time. Now, some of us think we do, okay? Well, maybe you do. Uh, your mileage may vary, right? Okay? Second Peter chapter 3, verse 8, we, we did, I skipped over it in the passage we read earlier. But it said, uh, But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. 
Okay, one year, one day is a thousand years. And a thousand years is as a day. Now, if you really think about that, what that does to me, that blows all kinds of circuits. It really does to me blow all kinds of circuits because what Peter, through the Holy Spirit, is proclaiming here in his letter kind of really does blow my mind. And so what I have learned is that, that, that to be able to assign uh, um, What's the word I want to use? To be able to assign some definitive um, uh, understanding or some definitive statements of how we are to interpret our time today, I, I think it, we fall short. Because when I read that the Lord, uh, to, the Lord uh, is uh, one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as is one day, it goes both ways, right? All right? Um, that's beyond my understanding. Maybe you can figure it out. I'll sit down. You can come up and explain it if you want. But I, it, to me, it's beyond my understanding. Uh, this this incredible, infinite God. I had to think in my mind, finite or infinite? All right, okay, infinite God, right? Who Isaiah says his ways are higher than our ways. They are beyond our finding out. And I, and I remember it a long, 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 long time ago, um, back when I lived in California, right? Um, there it was a guy that I had actually gone to undergrad school with at Cal Baptist, and, and uh, he'd taken a church in the town that we were, we were in, and he lived right just down the street from me. And one time we were talking, and I remember I was just peppering him with questions, right? And he finally said to me, Mike, if we really understood everything about God, would he really truly be worthy of our worship? And I wanted to say to him, dude, that's like the best thing you've ever said. So I'll give him credit for it. I didn't come up with it. But I... But I that's so true. If we really understood everything about God, would he really be worthy of our worship? No, we would try to make ourselves somehow, and the deficiency wouldn't be with him, but it would be with us, right? We would somehow try to make ourselves equal with him, which is the spirit of Antichrist. It's the spirit of Antichrist. So, this idea of the last hour is also can be viewed theologically as a, as a technical term. Uh, and it, it talks about a period of time, whether it's long or whether it's short. And, and, and it'll usher in that, 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 that termination of this particular age. And, and it'll reveal the final salvation that God has promised to each of us who's trusted in him. And so we are in the last times and we are expecting and we are looking forward to the last last time right you could i guess you could you could use that terminology and so we read here that you have heard the antichrist is coming notice it's capital now that's interpretive it's probably a good interpretation but i just wanted to make you aware that it's, it's not that way in the original greek all right they didn't use lower and uppercase for the most part. That came along later, and you do see that transliterated into uh, older Greek. But I, I think it's a good translation. 
says the Antichrist is coming. Now, when I say we are, oh, when I say our picnic is happening, what tense am I using? Future, right? I'm using future tense. Now, when I read here, Antichrist is coming, does it not sound future? I'm setting you up, by the way. It sounds future, but it's not. I'm just throwing this out here to get you to think through this a little bit. It's not, come, it's not future tense, which is a, a valid tense in the Greek. It's called present tense. And, and present tense is, is talking about an action or a process or a state with, with, uh, of being with no assessment of the action's completion. A process or a state or an action with no assessment of that action's completion. In other words, it's, it's happening, but you don't, you don't see any kind of completion. Kind of like when you, you turn on a television and, you, and, you, and you're catching it kind of halfway. So you didn't see the preview, so you don't know how it's going to end. I don't know why they do that, but anyway. Um, that's what John is referring to here. So you, you, you have this idea that Antichrist is coming. Uh, and that's all he says about it. And I find it fascinating, and especially, I, I, you, I think you guys got to work through this a little bit with what John is saying here. He's, not talk, he's talking about Antichrist before he's talking about Jesus coming again. He's not talking about there's no pre-trib rapture in here anywhere, guys. Not in this passage. It's not there. I looked, even. But he's talking about Antichrist is coming. And even now, at the present, many Antichrists have come. So Antichrist, singular, who is in the process of coming, and Antichrist, plural, have come, which is also, uh, excuse me, it's not present tense, it's called perfect tense. Follow me on this. Antichrist have come, it's perfect tense, all right? What this is doing is it describes a past action in the, in the perfect tense of the Greek, it talks about past action but it has a present influence or a present effect on the readers. I'll give you a bad example. Let's say 3 o'clock this morning, some of us decided to get down here really fast, and we decided that we were going to paint the walls before service. All right? And even more so, we decided we were going to paint it with an oil finish, which won't dry real fast. Okay? So... By 7 o'clock, we get the walls painted, so it's a past action. But when you walk in here just before 10 o'clock, what are you going to experience? The smell of drying paint. Some of you, it might even make you sick. So that's a, that's a good description of what, 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 um, uh, what this is referring to here uh, in the perfect tense. They did it in the past, but it still has an effect. Okay? 
So like the church, the church who uh, endures antichrist, notice a little a, by the way, the church who endures antichrist has to weather the problems and the issues of people who come in and are, among other things, trying to teach false doctrine. They are trying to be divisive at times. They are trying to sway people away from the teaching of the word of God. They are trying to sway people away from the leadership. And, and, and those type of things have an effect. Those type of things have an effect. And it, so they, they have come. And by which we know that it is the last hour. So what John is telling us, what John is telling us here is the fact that Antichrist have come is a way for us to know that we are in the last hour. I find that to be fascinating. And then he goes on. Well, real quick. This word Antichrist, Greek anti, anti I won't, I'll mispronounce it. This Greek word Antichristos, all right? Now, there, there are a lot of commentators who believe that this is a, a word that, that John kind of invented because he's taking two words and he's putting them together, right? Without the hyphen, by the way. When I put it in my notes, all right, anti-hyphen Christ, all right? But, but so a lot of commentators believe this is kind of a word that John invented. Uh, it's a word that, by the way, it's a name that you don't, a name or a description that you really don't see in the other passages in, in the New Testament, although the Antichrist, capital A, is referred to as the son of perdition. Uh, Jesus referred to these guys in Matthew 24 as what? False prophets and false teachers. The concept is there, uh, but the word usage is really unique here to what John is saying here in 1 John. And also he'll, he'll go here again in 2 John as well. Um, but this word anti, um, it means over, against, opposite. Or it can mean instead of. So the opposite of Christ, the against Christ, the instead of Christ. Um, and it, it always refers to a contrast or even a substitution. Now think this through a little bit with this. John's using really full language here to describe what he is uh, experiencing and what the church has experienced in the past and will continue to experience. He's talking about those who come against the church uh, because they want to be instead of Christ, because they want to... uh, uh, contrast with Christ. They want to be opposite of Christ. They want to be a substitute for Christ. I bet some of you particularly, your imagination can be running wild about right now. Because, and, and I'm not a big fan of them, the, some of these tracks, they're not as popular as they used to be, but they would have these tracks that they would, they were, essentially, I think they were designed to scare the, the theological place of eternal punishment out of you, right? And, and, 
and they'd have the, the this guy with horns, and he's got 666 on his forehead, and he's coming out breathing fire. And, you know, uh, that, that's, that's not necessarily what John is referring to. And particularly when I think about the meaning of this word anti in the Greek, which can refer to substitution. I think of the church in Ephesus. Revelation chapter 2. Where John, or Jesus is telling them, John is actually writing this, Jesus is telling them what? You've left your first, what? Love. Basically said, you're a great church. You've got a lot going on. You've got a lot of programs. You've got a lot of plans. A lot of people are being ministered to. You don't tolerate false doctrine, but you have left your first love. That substitution. That's exactly what that is. That's Antichrist. And so John goes on. Boy, I'm glad I'm part doing this. John goes on. And he says, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they, but they went out that they might be manifest that none of them were of us. Now, who is the they that John is talking about here? I look at this passage. Some people interpret this as now he's, he's breaking into a new thought, and they is just a general description of those who left the church. I think he's talking about Antichrist here, the small a's. I think, I think the grammar would bear that out. Now, I have to say this. Not everyone who leaves this fellowship is an antichrist, all right? Not everyone who leaves this fellowship uh, uh, is not of the faith. Sometimes we are not a good mix for them. Sometimes I'm not a good mix for them. Sometimes they're not a good mix for us. And it, it's, I, I wish that was not the case I was kind of naive when I first got here. I really felt that we could overcome that. And after over 17 years, I've realized that that is an impossibility. And that is the reason why we have at least eight churches in this town that meet at the same time in different buildings. And so I've learned to accept it. I've learned to recognize that even if they leave, it does not mean they are not of the faith. So those of you who are listening to this later on, um, who used to attend here and still listen, I'm not talking about you, okay? Right, there we go. Just had to get that out of the way. Because the reality is we have to look at these things and realize um, where is our heart in this? Where is our heart in this? And I think this is talking about those who leave the faith because you had a much more, well, it, it didn't take long for, for different views and different heresies. There's a difference, okay? Some of you and I don't agree. I know because of that, some of you are wrong about some things, but they're, they're not heresies, okay? We just have different opinions, of how we interpret different passages in the Bible, and I'm okay with that. I mean, I feel bad for you at times because you have to sit and listen to me 
say things that you may not quite agree with, and I get it, all right? So I appreciate uh, and, and thank you for your patience and, and, and for your love, and, and it goes back to you as well. But, but those who are the Antichrist are those who want to substitute for him. Those who want to be instead of him. Those who want to be opposite of him. Because one of the things that I think, if, if anything else I've been, uh, that I've really strived here as the pastor of this church for as long as I've been here, is that I always want to recognize that there is one mediator between God and man, and that is the man Christ Jesus, is not the man Mike Golden, all right? And if that ever changes, run. All right? If that ever changes, run, and run fast. And maybe take me with you. I don't know. But anyway, but, but, but we cannot ever lose the centrality of who Jesus is and what the cross is really all about. And, and when we go away from that, we run the risk of slipping into these antichrist attitudes where things become a substitution for him, where things get put in place of him, where we become opposite to him. And, and I remember years ago talking to a friend of mine, he was, pastor, he, he was our pastor for a, a few years, and, and I was having some issues with some people, um, believe it or not. And, and, and it was really funny because he said, boy, Satan has a way of using people at times even if they're Christians and they don't even know it. And I said, I wanted to say, hold on a minute. Let me, let me see if I can pass them in. No, anyway, no, I didn't go there. But, but there, are those, there are those times that, that Satan can use us in such a way that we put something in front of who Jesus is not only worthy to be, but that which he demands of our lives. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not what? Do not do what? Do the things that I say. Now, does anybody do it here perfectly? No. Some of you really shook your heads. And, well, we'll talk later. But anyway, no, I'm kidding. But, but, but no, we don't do that perfectly. Yes, we struggle. That's part of the sanctification growth that hopefully is taking place in our lives. But do not, do not allow anything to step in the place between you and Jesus. Real quick, and I want to close. The book of Acts has a couple of passages where people are fighting against God. Stephen warned them. Uh, warned the Pharisees in, in, in Acts chapter 7, verse 51, uh, that, that they were always uh, um, uh, fighting against God. They were always um, rejecting the message and the, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. You know who was interesting is, you know who fought against God in the book of Acts? Paul. Paul fought against God, did he not? In Acts chapter 9, He's going to Damascus. He's going to go kill some Christians because that's what he did, right? And, 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 and the Lord Jesus confronts him on the road, strikes him blind, and, 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 and 
he's having this experience with God. I don't think all of it actually is recorded. But in Acts chapter 9, verse 5, Paul says, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said to him, I am Jesus who you are, what? Persecuting. I am Jesus who you are persecuting. You see, Paul was an antichrist. Lowercase. Lowercase. Then he asked, Jesus asked the question, it is hard for you to kick against the goats. So even the antichrist, lowercase, can repent. Even those who place things in, in their life as substitutions for Jesus Christ, we can repent. Even those who un, maybe even unwittingly find themselves in opposition of Christ, we can repent. And so, again, going back to the first chapter of this book or this letter, John says if we confess our sins, right? He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from most unrighteousness. Bees with me. She shook her head no. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. To cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so we have that hope. Not only for ourselves, but for others. And again, sometimes what someone is doing or what they're all about or the things that they do or why they left or whatever the case, that's, that's, that's really above my pay grade. And often it is, I don't chase after people. I, I figure God is moving people the way he wants to move them. And if people want to go, then God bless you and you'll be missed, but God bless you, right? And... I'm never happy when people leave, but I don't, they're his sheep. They're not my sheep. I'm an under shepherd, right? But they're his sheep, and he has his sheep, John 10, they come in, they go out, and they find pastor. And so I entrust God to the people that he's brought here and his body here in this particular town, and I don't always know what he's going, and a lot of times these things are above my pay grade. But I know that if Jesus can convert Paul, whose name was Saul, and turn Paul into one of the, the greatest figures of the church of Jesus Christ, then he can do that miraculous conversion work with anyone. Amen? Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, help us to not put things in front of you. Help us to not find those things that are convenient substitutions. And Lord, God forbid that we do anything in opposition to you. Lord, help us to be faithful. Help us to recognize the times that we are in. Help us to, as you encouraged us in the book of Luke, to look up for our redemption draws near. 
But Lord, even as you told us in the book of Matthew, help us to be like the five wise virgins who kept their lamp lit and were ready. We pray, Lord, that you would encourage us in that respect. And the lamp, an image of the Holy Spirit, Lord, that you would keep us filled with your spirit. And that we would be ready and attentive to you. To be able to do your will. And to be able to fulfill those callings that you have placed on each of our lives. We ask these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. God bless you guys.